Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I am your host, Huzefa, and today we are digging into an article in Scientific American all about memory, and it's literally entitled How the Brain Builds Memory Chains. I came across this article very, very randomly, it, it was sent to me, and I just started reading it. It's really, really cool. It ties into uh, an episode I did not too long ago about optimal learning and about how learning happens in clusters, how things, how basically the brain learns things, uh, you know, in concert with, with, with other things. And th- that's what this article is all about. I'm going to be reading from it. I'm also going to be trying to break it down, analyze it, and do my best to hypothesize about how this could potentially uh, relate to optimizing learning for your child or for you. But it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and they're pretty excited when they talk about the research and the findings in the, in the article. It's a very interesting one. So without further ado, I'm going to dive right into it. And you can think about it too at home and see, hey, what conclusions can you draw from these very, very interesting findings? So it's entitled How the Brain Builds Memory Chains. Recollections of successive events physically entangle each other when brain cells store them. So it's all about how memories seem to latch together uh, disparate memories. It's sort of like, well, they give a really cool example at the beginning, and I'm going to read from that. Think about the first time you met your college roommate. You were probably nervous, talking a little too loudly, and laughing a little too heartily. What else does that memory bring to mind? The lunch you shared later? The doormates you met that night? Memories beget memories, and as soon as you think of one, you think of more. Now neuroscientists are starting to figure out why. When two events happen in short succession, they feel somehow linked to each other. It turns out that apparent link has a physical manifestation in our brains. As researchers from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, the University of Toronto and Stanford University, describe in this week's science. Intuitively, we know that there's a structure to our memory, says neuroscientist Paul Franklin, affiliated with the University of Toronto and Sick Kids. These experiments are starting to scratch the surface of how memories are linked in the brain. In your brain and in the brains of lab mice, recollections are physically represented as collections of neurons with strengthened connections to one another. These clusters of connected cells are known as engrams or memory traces. Now, engrams is spelled E-N-G-R-A-M-S. When a mouse receives a light shock to the foot in a particular cage, 
an engram forms to encode the memory of that event. Once that memory forms, the set of neurons that make up the engram are more likely to fire. Furthermore, more excitable neurons, that is, brain cells that activate easily, are more likely to be recruited in an engram. So if you increase the excitability of particular neurons, you can preferentially include them in a new engram. So what is that saying? What that tells me is the excitability of neurons, first of all, is going to increase the likelihood that they're going to be jumped lumped into this engram and that's a, that seems like a good thing if it's especially if it's for information that you're trying to retain because it's saying that whatever's in the engram more likely to fire more likely to recollect more likely to use so this is kind of interesting this makes me think hmm your emotional state is pretty important when you're trying to learn new material I think it's why, I mean, of course, this is somewhat apparent, obviously, when you're, when you're reading something that you really love versus you're reading something that you don't like so much. When you really like something, you're going to be so much more engaged, you're going to be feeling good, there might be more endorphins in your bloodstream, and you're just going to remember everything. You're watching a really exciting movie, you're going to remember it really well, it's enthralling. Something boring, not so much. So this tells me that one, of course, it's going to be better if, you, if you're if you learning about things or doing things that are actually fun and really cool. But moreover, if there is a way to somehow get you, or if we're talking about your child, being in a positive mindset in a good state of mind, you know, that's, that's what I see as an application of these findings is... In order to get these memories encoded into these engrams, which seem just like treasure troves as far as for information that's easy to recollect, you want to try and engender a positive mindset. You want to make somebody feel good or feel happy when they're going in to study. Uh, It just seems to me that that's what this research implies. I'm going to keep reading. Of course, you can uh, listen to the article as I go through it and, and feel free to draw your own conclusions and feel free to share them with me as well at Huzefa at scalarlearning.com. The question was, did that principle apply to two memories that happen close together in time? Neurons in a newly formed memory, memory trace are subsequently more excitable than neighboring brain cells for a transient period of time. It follows then that a memory formed soon after the first might be encoded in an overlapping population of neurons, which is exactly what the study found. Mice who formed a fear memory, one where they were given a foot shock in in a particular environment, and then formed a second memory six hours later, had formed those two memories in overlapping engrams. The rodents who formed the same memories 24 hours apart had separate sets of neurons related to each memory. Jocelyn, a neuroscientist at SickKids, and the University of Toronto and Franklin's group was able to tinker with the link between two memories by adjusting the excitability of neurons during different time points. Mice should normally form separate memories when events happen 24 hours apart, but when the researchers re-excited the neurons in the first memory engram while the second memory was forming, they could artificially link those experiences. So this is pretty cool because these aren't necessarily two memories that are happening simultaneously or near simultaneously, they're more or less separate 
yet somehow somehow we can by by it's almost like stimulating an, an old memory and then immediately learning something new or experiencing something new now suddenly the engrams are going to overlap and that's kind of interesting too because it seems that there's a way to to manipulate memory so that we can create these artificial links not artificial it's not as though they're actually artificial but i mean linked to disparate memories that don't really have a relationship but there's a way to do that uh and and then now we have a new link that hey, could provide some value when trying to recollect information. This just reminds me of when I ha- also had Sam Otten on the show recently, Professor Sam Otten. We talked about all sorts of stuff, including flipped learning. But at the end of the show, I asked him because he had posted on his website, on his blog, he had memorized all the presidents and their contenders down through the late 1800s up till now. So I said, okay, let's let's play let, let's jump around and i'm going to ask you some random years and you tell me the presidents so first i asked him who was the president and the the uh competitor that lost in 1900 and he's like oh he had to think about it and he's like you know this is not the format that i'm used to he had a little bit of trouble he came up actually with the presidential with the president but he was having trouble coming up with his opponent and i said well Let's do it however you're used to it. I said, okay, well, he started at the present and then moved backward. And this was effective. And then he had no problem. So why is that? Again, coming back to this principle, it seems as though one memory triggered the next, triggered the next, triggered the next, triggered the next, all the way down. So he started with, oh, Obama beat Mitt Romney. Then Obama beat John McCain. And then Bush beat blah, blah, blah. So he went and then he went down, down, down. Then he had a really easy time recalling all these different candidates and the presidents. So you can see right there, that's an example of how memories are linked. I mean, it's the same thing when probably one of the, one examples that I see is when kids are trying to learn the multiplication tables. If you go up and down, Let's say the eight. What's eight times two? 16. What's eight times three? 24. If you do it in this recognizable pattern, it gets much, much easier. Most kids are used to learning it that way and they can jump up and they use the previous number without even just adding. They use the previous number to trigger the memory of the next number. Oh, yeah. So eight times three is 24. I know the next one in the sequence is 32. But then you throw it out of order and it can become a little bit stifling. It can be a little trickier if you're not super familiar and super sound with multiplication. Uh, it's just very, very interesting because we see uh, everything that they're talking about, I think, manifest in, in our daily life. Now, when they tried to disentangle memories that happened six hours apart, they ran into trouble decreasing the excitability of the neurons in the first memory during the second event seemed to prevent the second memory from forming. We were blown away by that, Jocelyn says. In these types of experiments, she explains, they are only ever manipulating about 10% of the neurons in the amygdala. Amygdala is your fear center. If this second memory cannot form, however, that implies something is changing in the other 90% of neurons. Their findings mean that neurons are competing to be included in the new engram. 
And in this competition, excitability rules that 10% of neurons are the winners because they inhibit the other 90%. It is winner take all. What does this tell me? This tells me that there may be a good reason to limit distraction. Therefore, <laughs> when studying or when trying to learn something new, it's not groundbreaking. I think that's that's a relatively that's something that we all recognize as students, parents, teachers, whatever it may be. But now there's this physical evidence that, of course, the brains there's there's excitability competitions going on within your brain to form these new memories. And if 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 we are if certain things are happening that are exciting these different sets of neurons, then it's going to impede our ability to form new memories. And that's pretty it's pretty powerful. Being able to look inside a brain at this level of specificity is wholly novel, says neuroscientist Steve Ramirez at Harvard. It's the kind of research that literally 10 years ago would have been just bananas to think that we could go in and find these memories. The future of this research is to get a blueprint of how memory works. Although the researchers could only look at two memories at a time, the ultimate goal is to understand a whole network of memories. More than that, Jocelyn says, the aim is to understand how memories layer on each other. Put more simply, what is knowledge as opposed to what is specific memory? To answer that question, they must enter into largely untrodden territory. To date, this study is, the on is only the second of its kind. Jocelyn and Franklin studied overlapping memory formation in a brain region called the amygdala, which again is associated with fear. In a Nature article published in June, neuroscientist Alcino Silva at the University of California and his, and his colleagues found the same principle to hold true in the hippocampus, which stores more factual knowledge. Again, that's the one that's probably going to have the most relevance to actual learning. The interaction between memories is in fact a fundamental part of how we form a coherent view of the world. That is a massive goal, but these experiments have pushed us in the right direction. This is a stepping stone across understanding how we link information across time, says Silva. And I think that's one of the great mysteries of science, because behind that is our ability to understand the world. So true, understand the world. I mean, pretty much virtually everything in our lives is guided by our memory, our ability to retain information. You know, it's interesting. I thought about, I think we sometimes take memory for granted or forget, not take it for granted, but forget that it's it's happening all the time and it really does. It it makes it, the world would be almost, it's almost impossible to understand without memory. And I can give you an example, uh, a couple examples. So first of all, if we think about, there, there's a gentleman who, after experiencing some brain trauma, the case that we studied in, uh, I think, a neuro, a biology, some neurobiology class I took in high school. What happened was his ability to form short um, memories, short term memories was gone. So what would happen is every day he would wait. He had his long term memory somehow was still there and he could. He, every day like he would remember his wife and she would come to see him every day because uh, he was in he was in some sort of a psychiatric facility but she would come to see him every day and he would remember her and he would say oh my gosh like he would never remember that she was there the day before 
and he would just greet her. They would do the same thing every time they would come. They would go on a walk. Through his journal, he would constantly be writing, now I'm fully conscious today. Uh, I don't know what happened before, but I'm finally fully conscious. And then he'd write it, and then he'd come back to his journal, no, now I'm actually fully conscious. No, now I am. He couldn't remember writing all these previous entries, and they all looked foreign to him. And he just couldn't string anything together. And it, it, it was just this really bizarre existence. Like, he would try to, and he'd also be playing cards and he'd constantly reset the games he'd be playing like solitary and he'd constantly be resetting the games not understanding you know he'd very quickly be like what how did i what's going on how did i get in the middle of this game i got to start over things like that i mean it's obviously when you when you can't do that when you have no reference points via memory nothing makes sense i'll give you another simpler example think about music what makes music enjoyable i think people don't experience, realize that and they, th- they just think it's something that can be experienced in the moment i suppose it can but but think about a song and its progression and its relationship each successive part the relationship with the previous part everything is in the same key we have a climax that you reach based on what's been previously sung or played musically and if you don't have if you can't remember the previous notes you can't understand the trajectory and the path of the music. You, you don't have, there's no relationship. That's what a huge part of music is. It's not just the harmonies in that exact moment that you're listening to. But it's this whole tapestry that builds on, you know, everything is building on whatever came previously. Sort of like a movie or a story or whatnot. So you think about that. So just think, <laughs> memory is really enables us to see and understand everything. I mean, forget about And then, of course, the more obvious things. Without memory, we can't build on our base of knowledge and have it grow and improve and so on and so forth. But it's really fundamental at a very, at the most basic levels of existence to be able to have solid memory, to be able to string events together, so on and so forth. All right, well, that's it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This article is pretty cool. Scientific American. I will include it in the show notes. You can definitely check it out on your own. Read through it yourself. You can check out the show notes at www.scalertlearning.com. And if you have any questions or comments for me, feel free to email me at huzefa at scalertlearning.com. I'd love to hear from you as always. Thank you guys so much for joining. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skill and learning. Skill and learning, give me that skill and learning.